It's Monday, August 30th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Hurricane Ida made landfall in Louisiana on Sunday, exactly 16 years after Hurricane Katrina. Coming in as a Category 4, residents are bracing themselves for a days-long event, hoping that levees hold up and watching out for storm surges and flooding. The other concern is hospitals maintaining power as COVID patients fill ICUs. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for more on Ida and also updates on Afghanistan. The evacuation deadline is Tuesday as we saw drone strikes against ISIS-K and President Biden meet with families of the fallen service members of last week's attack. Next, a new generation of companies have made big strides in the science of smell, and a device that looks like a big purple nipple could be the digital nose of the future. The device will be used by Anheuser-Busch to measure how a beverage's aromatic notes are perceived and try to enhance flavors. In some airports, the device will be used for bomb detection, and it will also be used with a different company to detect traces of marijuana on people suspected of driving under the influence. Zach Schonbrunn, contributor at Bloomberg Businessweek, joins us for how this device is trying to replicate our sense of smell. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I can tell you right now, we do not anticipate any overtopping of the Mississippi River levees or overtopping of the levees in the hurricane risk reduction system uh, around the greater New Orleans area. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start off with Hurricane Ida. It made landfall in Louisiana. Yeah, it's a category four storm, sustained winds of 150 miles per hour. Obviously, there's tons of warnings going on everywhere. This is going to be a days long event there. And it's hitting exactly 16 years after Hurricane Katrina. That's right. This is a massive storm that made landfall near Grand Isle, a tiny little island where about 24 people remained on the island to hunker down for this storm. Um, just taking a battering in my home state of Louisiana. And you're right, this is 16 years since Katrina, and I was there for that. So I think a lot of people are feeling a lot of nervousness and apprehension watching the storm. Um, and, and we're waiting to see what the damage is going to be. Uh, remember, after Katrina, it took a really a day before the flooding to start and the, and the the levees to really start to inundate the city. There's a lot more people in the city than there were during Katrina because they did not call for mandatory evacuations this time. So I think we're going to see a lot more people there um, and get a lot more accounting of what's happening. But really is hit and, and is doing its first worst damage um, in sort of the area in between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Um, and the that area, which is more rural, uh, really taking the initial hitting and and the storm, we think of it as having, um, you know, the real activity on the eastern side. And, and that's what's hitting New Orleans. So lots yeah. of rain, lots of wind, losing power. Yeah, as you said, the storm surge, the levees holding up, flooding everywhere. That's all top concerns there. And, you know, just looking at the news coverage so far, uh, I know there weren't mandatory evacuations, but people do like to hunker down there. I don't know if they like it, but they like to stay home. They, you know, they want to try to weather that out. And then right now, the other thing that's going on, obviously, is COVID. Hospitals are full of people with COVID right now, uh, just in the regular side of things, in the ICUs. And, um, you know, there's concern there. Obviously, a lot of them turning on generator power to maintain that because that's that's the other issue. 
That's right. People like to hunker down because it takes a really long time to get anywhere. It took my little brother 13 hours yesterday to drive what normally takes three. So it was, you know, really just horrific traffic. Uh, And you're right. COVID is a concern. Even people who are vaccinated like my brother, they have a small child. So going to places where there were others who may be vulnerable was a risk. And then you're right. The hospitals are trying to grapple with this back up the generators. They have backup power, especially after Katrina, that can work for a long time. Uh, but you can't move people who are intubated. And so this is really just a one-two punch for the city of New Orleans and the whole region of Southeast Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, definitely hoping that the people there are able to weather it as best as they can. Moving on to Afghanistan, obviously, we're heading towards that August 31st deadline on Tuesday for us to be out of there. Security was a huge concern this past week. We saw a suicide bomber from ISIS-K killing 13 service members, over 100 Afghans. And, you know, in response, President Biden authorized some uh, drone strikes. So U.S. forces conducted these drone strikes and they uh, they did kill some uh, some ISIS members there. And I think on Sunday they hit like a, a I think it was a truck or something that had some more bombs and some more suicide bombers in there. That's right. We saw on late Saturday night that they were warning people to get away from the airport. They were concerned that another attack was imminent. And then we saw these drone strikes, so these unmanned aerial strikes. They are not like fighter jets. They're just little drones. They're not very little. They're kind of big. <laughs> out hitting um, ISIS. And you're right, the, into, the, um, into the mountains where ISIS is often sort of hidden out. And we understand that they've hit a number of people that they call planners or organizers, people who are organizing the suicide bombing efforts. And then the Pentagon also said on Sunday they hit this truck full of explosives. And this was an effort to try to make it so that it's harder to get there. And we're really at the end of the line. I mean, evacuations are going to stop. The military is going to leave entirely. We will no longer have the airport. And we also saw on Sunday the U.S. and 97 other countries saying they intend to hold Taliban to their promise that people are going to be able to leave the country even right. after the 31st. So this is really, you know, the the, the deadline is here. Yeah. And an, an interesting note on these drone strikes, because the U.S. was using a, a special Hellfire missile in all of this. It's something they use a few times before, not publicly until now, it seems like. It's uh, an RX-9 missile, they call it, and it uh, basically, instead of using explosives, right before at the last second, before it drops, it throws out six huge blades, kind of, to have a more targeted strike on on whatever the the target is. Uh, They say that this kind of helps reduce civilian casualties. That's right. I mean, we really are making an effort to not have civilians get caught in these. We know that groups like ISIS historically have set up in places where there are lots of civilians so that we sort of have to pay a political price for hitting both them and innocent people. In this case, they thought to target people who are in motion. The first drone strike was against someone in a car. So they were driving um, away from other civilization. And you talk about this really kind of insane missile where, like you said, it puts these blades out. So this is just the the latest technology and effort to get that revenge, really, without having other people be affected. On the other side of that, too, as you mentioned, still trying to get everybody out of there right now. The State Department said there's about 250 Americans that are left out there that, that want to come home. And as you mentioned, even if we go past that August 31st deadline, they're still going to try to do everything. They're committing to getting everybody out. 
So what they have said is that the Taliban have agreed not to lock down their borders to let people leave. A lot of these people are dual citizens. They lived mostly their life in Afghanistan. And there is some tension there. The Taliban don't want to see Afghan people leaving. They've complained a few times already publicly about a brain drain, about some of their most talented people leaving the country. So I think that tension is going to continue even as we make efforts to try to get people out ahead of that deadline and then after that deadline has passed. And finally, President Biden and the First Lady on Sunday met with the families of those members that were killed in Kabul. Uh, they were also there to witness the return of their bodies is what's called a, a dignified transfer. There was 11 service members that were honored on Sunday. Two of the families of Marines that died did not participate in that. That's right. So we saw the president go to Dover, the Air Force Base, which is where anyone who's killed in combat now, is their body is brought there directly. Um, and then they're they're prepared to travel to their homes where their funerals are. Um, and it's a ceremony, a very sad ceremony. The families come out onto the tarmac um, and the president was able to join them in order to honor those killed servicemen um, and to meet with their families and express his condolences. Um, he's known as being um, a guy who has a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion, a man who lost his son, Bo, uh, when he was still quite young in his 40s, um, who unrelated to that had served in the military. Um, and so we saw that that took, take place on Sunday and really an effort to honor those who were killed. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Biotechnology um, in particular has advanced in incorporating more biological processes and biologically based systems into electronics and technology has kind of enabled a handful of, of new companies to emerge and, and they feel like they've kind of cracked it. Joining us now is Zach Schonbrunn, contributor to Bloomberg Businessweek. Thanks for joining us, Zach. Sure. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about an interesting story you wrote, smell, the sense of smell for a long time it's one of the things that's been the hardest to replicate. You know, we have technology that can replicate vision, facial recognition type stuff. Uh, we have technology that can re replicate all sorts of other senses that we have as humans. But smell has been one of those hardest things to do. And right now there's a trio of companies that are uh, working on this and getting contracts with businesses to further that. Uh, one of them, <laughs> just the, the headline for your story, a giant purple nipple could be the digital nose of the future for the way that this device is shaped, but there's some pretty interesting stuff going on here. So Zach, help us walk through some of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, it, it has been one of the, one of the challenges, the stickiest challenges in technology is designing a sensor that can, you know, effectively replicate the versatility and, uh, you know, robustness and stability of, of the human nose. You know, we have sensors, as you said, that can recognize our faces and, you know, feel our touch or, you know, recognize our voices, but smell has been, it's been a challenge. And, um, you know, it's, it's not been something that, uh, you know, there was a lot of energy around this, this pursuit um, of building an electronic nose or a smell sensor in the 90s. A bunch of companies got a lot of attention uh, for their more chemical-based uh, detectors that um, were, were, you know, were somewhat effective, but, um, you know, certainly had limitations uh, and, and in, you know, what they could be used for um, with, uh, with smell detection. And so they kind of just faded away. And, um, but, you know, but lately there is, uh, there's been a lot of new energy 
technology has has obviously advanced. Some of the biotechnology um, in particular has advanced and incorporating more biological processes and biologically based systems into electronics and technology has kind of enabled a handful of of new companies to emerge and and they feel like they've kind of cracked it. So my, my story... Uh, I tried to apply a good amount of skepticism into it because knowing, you know, how much of a challenge it has been. But there's reason to think that a few of these companies have gotten further along than others in the past. Let's talk about the first one, the giant purple nipple, just because it's an interesting (laughs) device. Uh, It's made by a company called Konaku. The device itself is called Konicore, and it's like a purple bubble thing. But uh, it has it's I think they're going to be putting it up in some airports pretty soon. It's interesting. It, it uh, even has some living nerve cells inside of the device to help with sensing smell. So tell us about that device and then the practicality of it, right? I, I mean, I'm sorry, they have a they have a deal with Anheuser-Busch. So uh, mm-hmm. t- uh, tell us the practicality of it. What are they going to be using it for? So Koniku is, is kind of the furthest, furthest along in this. Um, you know, what they have done is they figured out a way to actually use uh, living nerve cells, uh, the neurons that uh, we would that we have in uh, oh way high up in our in our nasal cavity, uh, that act as the receptors. You know, uh, when we sniff something or an odor passes across our faces and up our nose, um, you know, those receptors are are what transmit that information to our brain. And so Conico has really hijacked that that system. They ha- and they've been able to do it using you know real human. Uh, nerve cells uh, that are programmed to um, pick up on on odors just as just as our nose would and but instead of uh, transmitting that information to a brain you know they figured out a way to transmit it to a chip uh, or a you know a computer and recognize odors that way and so that's kind of the basis uh, around you know what they've done it, it's it's uh, it, you know the the I suppose the closest to replicating you know how biology works for for us and, and other mammals and uh, in the nose um, you know there are limitations uh, to to what they can do with it as well but um, you know they feel like their um, their device is is portable um, you know it, it uh, it's it's not overly huge. Uh, you know, it can hang on a wall. And as you mentioned, it's going, they have a partnership with Airbus that's going to have these things start to appear in, uh, in airport terminals that are programmed to pick up on explosives. And they've done, uh, you know, traces of explosives. They did testing last year uh, with the FBI and a uh, police unit actually in Mobile, Alabama, where they found that the devices were more accurate in picking up on the traces of explosives than um, trained bomb-sniffing dogs. So they're starting to uh, roll out these devices in, in airport terminals, and so that's one application that they're working on. The other, as you mentioned, is uh, in the food and beverage space with uh, with Anheuser Busch, um, testing you know various products, trying to understand uh, you know how flavor notes and uh, odors from uh, you know various beverage beverages, kind of how how our odors, how our noses respond to different notes and, and hints of odors in, in different beverages. So that's kind of interesting in the in the food and beverage space, and then they're also working with uh, Thermo Fisher, um, the uh, the sensor giant, on building a device that can pick up on traces of marijuana. Uh, and so the idea is to have uh, the Conicor um, start to get filtered out into police stations and police vehicles, so that they can do more accurate roadside testing of um, 
you know, people suspected of of, uh, of driving while under the influence of, of marijuana. So kind of three very different pursuits. And I think right. that speaks to just the versatility of, of the device and what they've been able to achieve. You laid those out very well, you know, improving taste, uh, picking up on all those different things. But even helping to detect illness has been a thing that uh, scientists have been working with smell for a long time. They know that they can pick up, you know, if people have certain diseases or illnesses based off of the way they smell through their sweat, through their breath, all that stuff. So these devices and these companies that are working on this stuff also are looking into that, especially with coronavirus right now going on. There was all sorts of stories about dogs being able to sniff things out like that. We generally just don't give enough credit to what our noses are are capable of. We don't, you know, we we don't pay enough attention. Uh, we don't really have much need to pay attention to what our noses can do. But, you know, people who are trained uh, to use their noses, think of sommeliers and you know flavorists and and things like that. They they can be pretty remarkable about what they can do with their noses. And there's evidence that you know certain diseases give off, uh, you know, have odorous qualities as well. Um, you know, what, what's actually going on here is the, you know, the, the biological breakdown of, you know, when a disease affects cells, it gives off uh, what are called VOCs, volatile organic compounds. Um, that's what the dogs are, are picking up on. They get, you know, as you mentioned, it's kind of ejected from our body in sweat and in breath. Um, so figuring out a device that can pick up on these VOCs the way that a dog's nose can is, uh, is yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly of, of interest. And definitely there's more interest and urgency, as you mentioned now, because we're, we're much more aware and, and conscious and worried about what's in the air around us, um, you know, as we're living through this global pandemic. That's a direction that another company, Aromix, which is another company that I focused on in the piece, that, that's the direction that they are primarily heading, more in that diagnostic direction. Uh, you know, again, they, there are opportunities there. There are also challenges and limitations. Their system is not built around the entire nerve cell, the entire, you know, olfactory system that Conico uh, has been using. They focus on, they've been able to uh, achieve a way to use, use the odor receptors, the, the proteins uh, that uh, bind to odors inside our nose. Um, it's not quite as developed as the, the Conico system, but they feel like it works essentially the same way. It's able to recognize odors, you know, send that signal to, uh, to a, again, a chip reader uh, and a computer and give that recognition of, of whatever it's trying to, whatever it's trying to smell. You know, the challenge there with their system is that right now they're laboratory-based. So they have partnered with companies, but those companies have to send in their samples to be tested you know, into the laboratory. And so getting out of the laboratory for them, building a device that's more portable, that can sit in a doctor's office, or, you know, in their case, they would like to build something that's more like a pregnancy test or a glucose test that's a single-use biological strip or sample uh, that uh, can be kind of opened up and unsealed, recognize, you know, what VOCs it detects in the breath or in the sweat, uh, you know, give off that signal uh, and then be discarded. So that's kind of the direction that, that they're heading with their, with their company. But, yeah. um, but it's interesting. There's been so many advances made in the area of smell more recently that has kind of allowed for all this stuff to happen. 
And, uh, you know, it has a lot of big commercial applications, obviously, as we've been discussing. So we'll see if all of this continues to develop in the right way. But uh, I think you mentioned in the piece several times, you know, the science of smell is one of those things that hasn't really paid off on the technology side so much because it is so difficult to get a handle on. But just some interesting stuff. And there's a lot of very interesting details we couldn't get to right now. But I suggest everybody go out and check out Zach's piece. Zach, Sean Brunn, contributor to Bloomberg Businessweek. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.